0: We are. We're going to experience something, I believe, this morning from the Lord. I think something special. I just sense it in my heart this morning that God has something really powerful for us, and I hope you have that same anticipation. Um, it, we should always have that light, like, right? When we gather together, where two or three gather, He is there in our midst, and we can. We have a. Powerful, big, wonderful God, and we can expect Him to do stuff when we gather unto Him, and that's what we're here for. Um, <coughs> I think I'll grab the other mic. <coughs> um, we, I, I was. Um, let me ask this question: Have you ever, um, you know, got on a good vacation or something, and you came back? and you felt like you need to go on a vacation from your vacation (laughs) have you had that experience before Um, some vacations are packed and uh, my wife and I are are, we're we're different in the view of what a vacation is Carol's Carol's very active on vacation she wants to go somewhere and she wants to go do things every minute of the vacation from morning till night I on the other hand um would prefer uh getting a good book, you know, laying out like near the beach, and uh, and and uh that would be my vacation. When I come back from vacation I'm well rested and restored. Um we have two different views, right? So we manage to, to mix that. I'll get some, you know, reading time and some laying around time and um and then we'll go play and do all kinds of things. And um, and that has shifted over the years, by the way. At, uh, when I was younger, I was the one I always wanted to get out on the water, go surfing, do whatever we did. And um, as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed resting. But, but resting is not, um, you know, it, resting is not always full resting. There is a different kind of rest. And the writer... Uh, of uh, the book of Hebrews in the portion of Scripture that we're in talks about a soul rest or a spirit rest. And unfortunately, many people live their whole life and they never ever get a spiritual rest. They, They never ever get a true soul spiritual rest. And God, but it's a promise given to us by God. Now, we've been talking in the book of Hebrews, which was written to basically some pretty young um, Hebrew believers, Jewish believers, that were under tremendous persecution, pushing them back, trying to push them back into their Judaism, or at least compromising their Christianity and blending Old Covenant with New Covenant. And, uh, And going back to some of the 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 traditions of the old covenant and the, and the basically the insecurity of the old covenant the old covenant was insecure today tonight actually starts the Jewish festival of um, Yom Kippur and uh, the the day of atonement it's it's been preceded by uh, you know nine days or ten days of uh, of of what is a, a time of repentance and um and uh, and and started on uh on the uh, feast of trumpets, so we're t- tonight they will start that and and in in the Old Testament times, when they had a temple, it was a time for sacrifice, and they sacrificed animals, there was always a waiting period to see if their sacrifice was complete. It was the one time a year that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifice for the people it was a sacrifice for the entire year if if the sacrifice was accepted the nation would be then be be covered for that year if the sacrifice wasn't then there was there was big trouble in the nation it was a national sacrifice there was also sacrifices made for the nations that's a whole different story when we talk about end times things and what will come. There's a real picture of end times, uh, how that all works out in that. And uh, we've done that before, but at some, at some point I'll do that again. But the whole thing is that this was th- tonight and tomorrow is a, a, a feast day that they would, uh, they would be very much part of. And they would have tried to repent and think about everything they've ever done wrong for that entire time. Uh, and they would have personal repentance and national repentance. And they were in, you know, waiting for. And of course, it wasn't the only time when they did the repentance and made sacrifice. But this was the big one. And they were in hopes that God would forgive them. And if the high priest went in and he himself was not pure, he would die in the presence of God. He, he could not stand having sin. So he would have to make sacrifices for himself and all these purifications, and all the people were hoping the high priest is okay and he's a good guy and he was, you know, he truly repented and he didn't have sin in his life. But they could never know. There's a tremendous amount of insecurity. There was no spiritual rest. Get it? There's no spiritual rest. So the writer of Hebrews, obviously trying to get the attention of these Jews the way you get the attention of the Jewish people is you have to at least you know those who are who are believers you have to go into the old testament to prove your point if there's something to be proven you have to take scripture and show them the scripture if you don't show them the scripture you're just talking off the top of your head and there's no way they're going to even consider what you have to say you know that is actually a very good quality that needs to be the quality of every single christian every christian should compare whatever philosophy philosophy whatever you know so called truth or or religious view compared to the scripture it has been concerning to me as i've watched even during this whole time of covid and all that's going on with the churches I have, for the first time, noticed at a greater level. I always know, know it's been there. But I have noticed for the first time this kind of... And I'm not using this in a political sense. This word is used in, in politics all the time. But it's the best word for for using it in the religious sense. The A progressive Christianity. You know what progressive Christianity is? It's Christianity that tries to blend and match the culture with Christianity. That, in fact, Christianity bends to the culture in in order to, in hopes of winning the culture by bending to the culture. And instead of just standing on the Word of God, wherever there can be, and what happens is that bending, listen, this is not new. We call it progressive Christianity it goes all the way back to the to the New Testament time. This what that idea of bending to the culture and kind of compromising in order to get more people to join you is something that's been going on forever. But there are waves of it, and we're in a strong wave of it right now. Where churches that that are called evangelical um, and you know, that's the way they view themselves as evangelical because they're doing it for evangelism are making compromise so that they can win the culture. And that's not how. The church has always been, and, and, and maybe you just say this, could you just say, this? the church has always been counterculture, counterculture. We've never been with the culture, we've been counterculture. Because God's word is always always contrary to the world. The world is always pushing against the things of God, and only if you come into the kingdom of God, and and you begin to walk according to the word of God, do you in fact become, um, you know, walking in the ways of the Lord, and the, and that you're part of the kingdom of God. So, the, this writer he goes to the word. To show these young believers that that what they have in Christ is just better. It's just better. It's way better because Jesus is. Will you say it with me? Better, better. He is better, and it's better because of Jesus. Now, what he does is he actually quotes in uh, in the first. Um, uh, 11 verses, I'm sorry, from verse uh, 7 to 11, that's where we're at uh, this week, we, we ended in verse 6 last week, from verse 7 to 11, he actually is just quoting Psalms 95 verses 8 through 11. So what he does is he goes to Psalms 95. Now, I'm going to give you, th- this is, let me tell you my, my view on preaching. I believe, my hope is, that I inspire you and I educate you in the scripture. Both. If all I do is every week just try to inspire you and I, you know, just preach fiery sermons, maybe it's because I'm not good at it. Maybe that's it. I, I'm just not a yeller, a screamer, and dancer, and I just don't do that well. But I do get inspired. I do get excited. There's, there's no question about that. I get excited. But if that's all I did, I would be concerned that you weren't being taught the word of God. So, what I want what we do is we gather and we teach God's word. And there are portions of scriptures like this one where you have to be taught to understand it. Otherwise, I could just grab a couple words in here that are very inspiring words. You know, words like like don't harden your heart or Um, exhort one another. And I could just preach about the phrase in the Scripture. And you can take a phrase and you can hammer it home, right? I'm just telling you that I don't believe that is long-term growth that happens in you if all you get is that. But if I only teach you just the nuances of of the words in the text... If that's all I teach you and there's no inspiration or exhortation, I think that's lacking too. So hopefully you pray that I am able to do both and that you can get inspiration and you can get education in the process. Today, I want to educate you on this text, which is a difficult one. But you have to follow. If you can follow me with this, you're going to go away. And every time you read this text, if you ever read it again, you'll know exactly where it's going. Okay? You'll understand what he's saying, and then you can pull out things even more. He is taking this portion of Scripture, and I'm going to read it to you, in Psalms 95, and he's, re- and he's, and he's just re- regurgitating it to them. So they could read it. They know it's in there in Psalms 95 to prove a point. And here's, here's the text. I'm just going to read it. Verse 7 all the way down to 11. Therefore, as, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Everybody say my rest. My rest. They shall not enter my rest. Now he's quoting this scripture for one specific purpose. There's other things in here, but this is the main purpose. And that is to say that the people of God never entered into his rest. But since they never entered into his rest, that means there is a rest still for the people of God to enter into. That's the main point. And this whole chapter, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 3 and the entire chapter 4 is mainly that point. They didn't enter the rest, but... That, this scripture says they didn't enter into the rest, so logically, if they didn't enter into his rest, there still remains a rest for the people of God. You see that? That's what he's trying to, 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 to share from this text. Now, he uses two illustrations. He uses the illustration of what's called the rebellion, And he also uses the illustration of creation. There's two illustrations that he uses to bring his point home. And it's it's not about just bringing a point home for us. It's about entering into something that is such a precious promise of God that we get to live in this rest that they never got to. They never got to. That's a rest that is for the people of God still, and we have an opportunity to enter into that rest. Now he, he so there's the, he says, don't harden your hearts in as in the rebellion. What's the rebellion? Well, the rebellion was. Remember when the when God brought the children of Israel, out of Egypt, and Moses brought them to the promised land, and he brought them to go into the promised land, and and they sent out spies, and they came back and says, we can't go in there, there are giants in the land, there's these monster-looking guys, these huge, you know, they're like Samoans, you know, all, the, all of them, they're just huge guys, and and these Canyonites are so big, we can't take them, there's no way we can get them, and, and uh and they came back with a bad report. At least 10 of them did. And the people started crying out and moaning, oh, you took us here to kill us, to God. And God had done so many wonderful miracles. He's, he had proven himself. How, what more could he have done? He, he He completely annihilated the most powerful army at that time in the world so that they could come free of Egypt. He He, he used... Incredible miracles, these plagues that that caused Pharaoh to go get them out of here he He opened the you know the Red Sea and drowned the armies of the enemy. He brought them through until they got to the promised land with miracles and they're standing at the brink of going into a place of rest, a place of rest and They stop, and they stop there because of their unbelief. They were not willing to believe God, the God who had done all these things for them to bring them into a place of rest and safety and a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the rebellion... When you hear that the rebellion, that was the rebellion. When they says, when he says, do not let your hearts, uh, uh, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Remember that? Oh yeah, they know that one. It says, well, your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works forty years. <clears throat> Therefore, as I was angry with that generation and said. They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, he's reading it, right? He's he's, he's writing it, he's repeating what was written in the Psalms. So David is writing on this, Psalms 95. He's writing about this, and this is what he wrote. In a re, Looking back and saying to the people, not, not back in the time of Moses, but now in David's time. He's saying to them, if you'll hear my voice. If you'll hear. So the writer is reminding them that they still hadn't entered into rest. Because going into the promised land eventually, as they did, was not the rest that God Had promise. If it was the rest, then David would not have been writing by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, hundreds years, hundreds of years later, for the people to that they can still rest. They can they need to enter into the rest because they're already in the land. So the writer of Hebrews is, is proving the point that the rest is not really in, it's only a type. The land, of entering the land. That entering the land is not the rest itself. It is a picture or it is a type of rest that God has. But it is not the rest that God has. So, he says, Beware, verse 12, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An evil heart. I'm not going to have you repeat that. I don't want you to repeat that. But it's an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief, according to God, is an evil heart. It's not, it's not just somebody just doesn't believe. Unbelief is an evil heart. Why? Because, because we don't understand, we confuse evil heart with a doubting heart doubt is not the same as unbelief everyone has doubts you face doubts you struggle with things things come come your way and you'll doubt God sometimes you'll doubt what God might do you might have some doubt about you know a situation you're praying God and you have prayer and you have doubts in your prayer and God is always pushing us to walk in faith to walk in trust in him. That's what God is wanting us to do, to walk in trust in him. Unbelief is considered not, not just a doubt, it's considered a heart problem, a heart issue. Because unbelief is a choice that one makes when one can, is considering the God who is, has proven himself And a choice not to believe the God who has proven himself. It's not whether you have doubt. It's a choice. It's a willful, heartful choice not to believe. It's an evil heart. And the illustration is the one that he just gave. They're going into the promised land. God has done miracle after miracle after miracle. They're going to, in fact, God is the one who said go in and and spy out the land. He told them to spy out the land because he wanted them to see what they're going to conquer. That was, their, that was the intent of God. He wants you to see the victory ahead of time. You see, a, you, you face a challenge in your life today. God wants you by faith to look beyond it. He wants you to see the promised land that you're pressing through. Where is, the, where, is the, where is the promised land for you? What, you know? It, it, where's the, the, the freedom, the victory that you see? You know, you're struggling in your marriage, but you, he, God wants you to see beyond that to the place where there's harmony and blessing and joy and peace in your relationship. You know, you're struggling with your kids. God wants you to see beyond that to this family unit of unity and love. You're struggling with your career. God wants you to see beyond it. That's the eyes of faith. You're looking beyond by faith to see those things that God is able to do. Spy out the land. They spied out the land, but instead of looking for what God had already promised, God said he was going to give it to them. They looked at all the, 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 the hindrances. All they looked at was the enemy. And if that's all you look at is the enemy, that's the only thing you're going to see. And so they made a choice not to look through the eyes of faith; they chose unbelief, and that unbelief cost them dearly and God said that he would not he said um, he said he said, "I would not let them enter my rest. they shall not enter my rest because they have departed with." The evil heart of unbelief. But then he gives us a solution to it. And this is really the first solution to it. I'm sorry, it's the second solution. Because the first solution was, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's the first solution. If you're taking notes. second solution is simply this. Exhort one another daily. Verse 13. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is the other aspect of unbelief. Unbelief is always tied to sin. This connection, sin and unbelief. I've had the... um, Sad time, or in some cases, it became a wonderful privilege to talk to some people who have who knew the Lord grew in, up in church, and then fell away and and fell away hard and We talked about this last week because that 's who he 's writing to 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 try to protect them from doing that, who fell away hard and then see the 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 blessed ones were when I was able to see them come. Back to serving the Lord and following Christ, and the, but there's great damage in that. And and what you hear, I'm, I mean, I've heard this from those who have come back, and I so I know, I know it's also true of those who haven't. Um, that the real problem was never a intellectual problem; they didn't go to you know college or university. And hear some professor bring up a problem with Christianity and say, you don't have to believe it anymore because it's a false religion. It's false. And because he came up with some great truth. Because the fact is, the arguments against Christianity are the same arguments there's always been. There's nothing new. It isn't a scientific, there isn't something they they found scientifically or archaeologically. There's no historical finding that has now disproven Christianity. There's never, in fact, the opposite is the case. Uh, 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 The more they study both history and archaeology, the more findings there are, the more the support of the scriptures. It's actually the opposite. But they use the same arguments over and over again. And if you've studied it, you would understand that. But if you're a a young college student going and you've never learned these things, and you hear that and you go, oh, no, and you don't know the the answer to it, you don't know the argument, you easily fall into it. If, If the temptation for sin is drawing you to the place that you are looking for an out, because if you're looking for an out, you'll find it. And sin seems to be the problem. It seems to be the temptation of sin gets people in trouble, and it causes them to fall into a deceitfulness. And that's why it says, the Bible says, the answer to that is don't get out of fellowship. The answer to that is hanging around believers who have faith and know God's word and know the answers and can pray with you and walk you through and challenge you and help you with your sin problem. Because it's usually not an intellectual problem. But even if it is, there's answers for that too. But that doesn't seem to be the problem. I've I've actually sat with people who have said... You know, I don't believe in, in, in my, my, Christian, my old Christian faith. I'm not a Christian anymore. Or they're saying, I'm really doubting my Christian faith. And they're moving toward living a life uh, away from Christ, which means really living a life of sin. That's, that's the point. And I've sat with them and had them give their, their problems or answer questions. And I've been able to, in most cases, give, I think, very satisfying answers. And which they didn't have an answer for, but it didn't stop them from walking away from the Lord, because that's not really the issue. Here it tells us a little bit. It says, "Beware, brethren, um, let, that uh, you know that there, lest there be any uh, of you with an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God." But exhort one another daily. That means fellowship. That means getting together. That means sharing your faith with one another. That means community. That means loving on one another. That means, you know, talking about God, talking about Christ, talking about God's Word. You know, I I love being around people who love to talk God's Word and share. It's not the only thing I talk about. I'll talk about sports all the time. I'll talk about all kinds of things. But... But there's nothing, nothing that is more important in our life is to share the Lord together as Christians. And we encourage one another. Because there's a battle we're all in. Once you joined, you got in an army. You don't, didn't know it maybe. But once you joined in, once you said yes to Jesus, you're part of an army. And there is a battle going on. And there's a battle to destroy you. You know, there's a battle to, uh, to weaken your faith. And the answer to it is a very simple one. If we're around one another and we're sharing our faith with one another and we're encouraging and we're open, we're honest with one another, I mean, real honesty, not this fake Christianity, not putting on masks, real Christianity where we're, you know, clearly honest and, and sharing with one another our hearts. When that happens, the church is incredibly strong. It's a fortress. It's impenetrable. You are impenetrable because you've got God's word in you. You've got God's truth in you. You've got encouragement. You've got prayer. So we're to exhort one another. And it says daily. They meant, by the way, daily. We don't meet daily. I mean, you can just about find something here just about every day of the week. It's, we're actually starting to come back in that way. More things are starting so people can get together. But this is the de- biggest devastation of the church having to not be able to get together. The biggest devastation. And I, I speak to those who are watching right now, and many of you, more people are watching that are than are here at the building. And I understand. Listen, I'm, I'm not pushing in any way against those of you who feel that you're vulnerable. But let me say this. If you're, if, if you're not at church because you don't, because if you're not at church because, um, but you don't feel vulnerable. In other words, you're out at restaurants and you're out at uh, supermarkets and you're out all over the place, but you're just sitting on your butt this morning because you're lazy and you found it a lot easier to watch on TV. Um, The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourself. So get your butt down here. Now, Now... I'm, I'm not talking to those of you who um, who are, in fact, um, have risk, and you, you're, you're, you're already living your life this way. Consi- as long as there's consistency, amen. But if there's inconsistency, I hope you'll check your heart and see if God would have you, in fact, gather with the body of Christ because the body of Christ needs one another. We exhort one another, um, the Bible says. And so... <clears throat> He says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you hear, hear his voice, so he's repeating Psalms 95 again. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled, And indeed, it was, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So these people were freed. They crossed the Red Sea like we cross baptism. They, there are people who, who've been, you know, they're in church and they've been baptized already. And they're like, they're, 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 they're already saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. But he says, now whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of what? Unbelief. Isn't that interesting? Look at how he connects in this verse. Look at it. Look at verse 19 clearly. Read it with me, okay? So so we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Now look at verse verse 18. To whom did did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who did not what? Obey. You see the connection between they did not obey and unbelief? The reason they didn't enter in was because of unbelief. But he says, who was it that that it was that didn't believe? It was those who did not obey. They didn't obey, and their disobedience was, in fact, their unbelief. And so he says, therefore, since a promise remains. Okay? Say that with me. A promise remains. A promise remains. There's a promise for you. There's a promise that remains. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, there's a promise for you. There's a promise that still remains for you. And then he said, let us fear. Now, In the Bible, over and over and over and over again, right? 365 times, you probably heard this one for every day of, of the year, God says, do not fear. He keeps saying it, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. And this one time he says, you better fear. This is the thing you fear. You don't fear all these other things that you've been fearing your whole life. Don't fear that stuff. But let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Short of what? The promise. The promise. Is there anybody here that's come short of the promise? Have you come short of the promise? If you've come short of the promise, you need to fear if you've come short of the promise. The promise is so important that you don't come short of the promise. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The word went out, and there are people who says, oh yeah, I know, I know the gospel, oh yeah. I can tell you, in fact, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I know it. I know it. I know. I know. I, I know about the angels. I know about Jesus dying. And the, I, I know about Jesus being born and to the Virgin Mary. And I know, in fact, I sing the songs at Christmas. I know these things. There are lots of people who know these things. But it's never, the word has never been mixed with faith. So they're not born again. So the promise isn't theirs. And you can live your whole life that way. You can live your whole life with kind of this idea of, I, I'm a Christian because I know these things. But you've never mixed it with faith that is transforming in your life in obedience because your faith has never been activated to the word of god so the answer is mix the word with faith for for we who have believed he says do enter that rest For we who have believed do enter into that rest, as as it says, so I swore in my mouth they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of of the seventh day in this way that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this place they shall not enter my rest. What he's saying is this, that God has a rest that the rest we're he's offering us in the promise is a rest, not, not for your rest, it is God's rest. You enter into his rest. Let me ask this question. When God rested from his creation, did he stop working? No. Actually, didn't. Jesus even said, you know, the Father works, and so I work, even on the Sabbath, he made mention of that the father's working father's working he's still working but there was a rest from what from creation he finished a job so he rested on the sabbath day from creation what is the rest that he promises for us it's entering into his rest it's the rest of salvation It's the rest of salvation. Jesus was on the cross and he said, and he cried out, It is finished. It's finished, church. It's done. The work has been done. It was done on the cross. It's not finished partially. Jesus didn't say, It's partially finished. He didn't say, I got some of it done. You know, I forgave, I'm I'm able to forgive some sins. I'm able to save a few people. No, he died for the sins of the world, and it is finished. What is rest? Rest is believing in the finished work of Jesus so much. I mean, it's like you're in your easy chair. I, I have a chair at home. In fact, Sometimes my grandkids will sit in my chair in order to kind of bug me on purpose. You know, they'll, they'll sit in my chair and they'll smile at me. And I'll go, up, up, get up. You can sit on my lap, but you can't sit in my chair. That's my chair. My chair is the place where I put my feet up and I relax and I kick back and I get off my feet. And I rest physically. This promise is the rest of your life, the rest of your life, you're going to rest in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation. You're not gonna work for your salvation. You're not gonna, you're not gonna fret, you're not gonna worry about your salvation, you're not gonna be um, you know, trying to, to do something so you secure your salvation. There m- remains a rest for the people of God. Put your feet up. You're in, you know, when it comes to salvation, you can sit in that easy chair the rest of your life. Does that mean you won't work? Oh, no. God worked. He's still working will work, but never for salvation. never. That's going backwards. That's, that's unbelief. We don't live in unbelief. We, we live in the confidence of the work that's finished in Jesus Christ. Completely and totally in the rest, there remains a rest for the people of God for he for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased, ceased from his works as god did his cease from your works of salvation cease from attempting to do anything to get god's favor of salvation for salvation you have to stop that's unbelief You rest fully in the work. It is finished. Jesus finished it. And anything else is a slap in the face to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Anything that says you have more to do to be saved is a slap in the face to the sacrifice that Jesus made for the sins of the world. He paid it all. And those of us who rest in it, were the ones who entered the promised land. Those who don't, they're on the outside. They're on the outside, always facing giants, always finding an excuse not to go into the promised land, always wondering because there, there's n- never going to be a soul or spirit rest. Today was a very hectic morning. I knew God had something good because there, when, it, when it's this bad, when it's this bad, I know it's the Lord going to work. I know that the enemy's trying to stop something. And if it could go wrong, it went wrong. I mean, just one after another after another. And I'm showing up here to church after service starts. And I'm trying to get uh, something printed that, well, I don't even want to go into all the detail. It was a mess. And I knew God, but let me tell you something, as I am frantically trying to get things done, there's still a spirit rest i'm I'm not trying to accomplish something, so God thinks, oh Rick you're you're good you're, you know i'm I'm re- really proud of you because maybe if you do a little bit more maybe maybe you'll get saved someday. Maybe if you work a little bit harder. You'll be one of the hundred and forty-four thousand. <laughs> Verse eleven says, "Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall, uh, uh, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience." Let us, therefore, now that sounds almost like a co- contradiction. Let us. Be diligent. That sounds like work. What are we be diligent to do? Be diligent to believe. Because belief is not works. Be diligent to make sure, m- to make your salvation and election sure. How do you do that? You trust. You trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing you do. You just believe. Now, there's a rest This way, but once you come into that rest, I want to just—I'm just going to—I'm over time. But let me say this: there's another. There, there, there's more rest for you in living the life of faith. Living the life of faith, there is not only the rest of faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, but there's the rest from an anxious life. You can live. You can live in the rest, a rest from the ancient. You can live in the rest from a guilty conscience. You can live in the rest of an unfinished salvation that we, are, we have talked about. And you can live in the, in the rest, rest in the security of God's love. You can do that. There's a rest even for those who have spiritual rest in the Lord. And God has offered that to us, and we lift our hearts to him. Remember what Jesus said. Come unto me in, in Matthew 11, 20, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lonely of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Why don't you take, if you haven't, and to anyone here that hasn't done this already, and anyone that's watching online, why don't you take that yoke of sin and cast it toward Christ, that you're carrying a heavy load. You've got a backpack that is weighing you down. You can cast that to Jesus. He'll take it. And he'll give you a light burden. Say, what what kind of burden? God's burden is to love one another. That's his burden. It's light. He says, this is what I'll give you. I'll cleanse you from your sin, but you're going to take my burden. What is that? Love one another like I do. Just start loving people. But salvation is yours. If you would like to invite Christ into your life... I ask you just to pray this prayer. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins on the cross, that he was buried and conquered death when he rose from the dead that first Easter morning. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I invite you into my life as my Lord. I ask you to help me, help me to follow you from now on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that, and you've given your life to Jesus, we want to help you in your walk with God. Please go to ccanaheim.com, our, our website, and let us know that you received Christ, and we will send you information and get you started in growing in your walk with Jesus. Will you do that? You ready to worship the Lord? Let's do that. We, do, we aren't taking offering. We haven't been for this, so um, we, have, um, we have the boxes near the doors. If you'd like to give, feel free to do that, okay? Let's, let's, let's lift our hearts to the Lord, guys, okay?